0: Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. I know that uh, there's, there's a number of you that have come to me uh, about the COVID vaccination. Now everybody's like, oh man, where's you going to go with this? I've had people ask me, what is Heartland's official position as a church on covid vaccination we don't have one we don't have an official position because what we we want to base everything on the word what we do have a p- official position on is living your conscience that you have an obligation before god a responsibility before god to live with a clear conscience and you need to Follow. you need to do your own research. God has uh, delegated authority to you. We are self-governing people. Uh, That's why freedom-loving people tend to be religious people and religious people tend to be freedom-loving people because good theology allocates the responsibility to rule your life to you. First to you and then to external authorities. And when we abdicate that self-rule, things don't go well. That can be a governmental model, but that can also be a lifestyle model that people just relegate the directions for their life to somebody else. There have been different theologies that have blown through the church over time where people, uh, I, I was, I'm old enough to remember the shepherding movement. Anybody remember that, the shepherding movement? couple of you. Some of, some of my people that I deeply, deeply respect were part of that, and it went off track, and the, the whole idea behind it was that we understand we need to submit to authority, but they, they took that to an extreme, and so people would actually ask their pastor for permission to go on vacation. Ask permission, you know, can I buy a car? I want to tell you, I have a hard enough time running my own life, okay? You don't need my permission. God has delegated that to you, and it is, it is a a wrong theology that has dire consequences when you delegate that. And so we believe firmly in authority, but all authority has limitations. Uh, every, you know, we, we, need to re- we need to submit to authority within the confines of that th- authority's rulership, okay? Man, I could get way off this morning. So I say all that to say this uh, if you feel like you should get the vaccination, then you do your research and make that decision with a clear conscience. And if you feel like you should not get the vaccination, you do the research and do so with a clear conscience. We don't have a policy on that, okay? What we do have a policy on is people judging one another for their decisions on non-scriptural matters. When we begin to get an attitude towards people in matters of gray area, Paul addresses this in Romans 14. He's talking specifically in that passage about people who are eating meat sacrificed to idols. There were certain, certain meat markets that were pagan meat markets and so they would kill the cow and brand it with a pagan uh, brand and they'd you know they'd dedicate part of it to an idol and then they'd sell that and some believers says I can't eat that because it's got the brand to such and such a god on it. I'm a Christian. And Paul said if that's what you believe you're right. But then there are other believers who said, hey, I just pray over it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Bless that T-bone and I'm going to chow down. And I have a clear conscience. And Paul said, if that's what you believe, you're right. Because it's a matter of conscience. But then he went on to say what he really began to address in this whole matter was not who was right and who was wrong, because we need to be dictated by our own conscience. He said, when those who do not eat meat sacrifice to idols they should not judge those who do they should not accuse them of some ethical wrongdoing but then he addressed the others he said and if you think you can don't despise those who don't do it with you don't look down on them in fact he went on to say keep those things to yourself don't do them in fr- if somebody has a conviction i can't eat that meat sacrificed to idols don't eat the meat in front of them. Do that in the privacy of your own home. If it's going to make them stumble, their walk with God and not bringing them to a point of stumbling is more important than your hunger for steak or however you want to frame that. So here's the thing. If you have prayed about it, you've done your research, you feel like you were supposed to get the vaccine, God bless you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah go for it. That is your, you, you do it before God. And if you feel like as you've studied it and you've done the research and you feel like you have a conviction you're not, hallelujah, go for it. That's between you and Jesus. But don't despise someone who adopts a different position. Because what the enemy would love to do is take something like this and divide the body of Christ. So I say all that to say this. One other thing about this whole subject. If you have a religious conviction. If you have come to, from your study of the scripture, and you're studying this thing, and you feel like I'm not supposed to, and you need a letter for, a, a, uh, for requesting a religious exemption, I can help you with that as your pastor. I can't say this is the position of our church, but I can address a letter about how we live according to our conscience in Scripture. And if we do something that violates our conscience, it affects our relationship with God. And so we can't allow people to push us to do things against our conscience, biblically speaking, okay? So I just want to say that, and uh, we want to walk in unity, and everybody just on on gray areas, then you have the liberty to do whatever God leads you to do. Amen. Hallelujah. And uh, so, anyway. All right, that was a freebie. That's not even my sermon this morning. So now let's get into the word this morning. Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray, God, that you would anoint our ears to hear my mouth to speak, and Holy Spirit, as the teacher, I ask that you would come and that your teaching would fall like rain, that you would strengthen us, Lord, that we would connect the dots, Lord, that we would walk out of here understanding your ways and your kingdom, And Lord, I ask that it would strengthen us and equip us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we've been talking about uh, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, kind of unpacking that, doing some teaching on that. We've been in teaching mode. And I want to go into that some more this morning. And I want to talk about it in regards to prayer because uh, one of the primary assignments on this church is we are a house of prayer. We are a praying church. And if you come around here uh, much at all, you're going to find that out. We, we are a church that has an assignment by God to pray, but you cannot pray as you ought if you don't have the Spirit and learn to cooperate with Him. So let, let's, let's jump in here. When, it, when you look at the Godhead, okay, the revelation of the New Testament, the Godhead, there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the mysterious Three in one. God is Father, God is Son, God is Holy Spirit. It is not three manifestations of one person. It's not, it's not that thing of, of uh, you know, because some people say, well, in the Old Testament, he shows up as Father. In the New Testament, initially, he shows up as the Son, and then he shows up as the Spirit. No, and at Jesus' baptism, he went down in the water. The Father spoke to him while he was in the water, and the Spirit came upon him. And we see that interplay of the Godhead, this mysterious uh, three-in-one Godhead, taking place. But if you read the New Testament, you will find that there are distinct there are there are distinct persons and distinct responsibilities within the Godhead. There are distinct personalities. The Father has the role of being the originator and the ultimate, ultimate consummation of all things. Everything comes from him, and everything returns to him. Everything comes from him, and everything returns to him for his glory. So God is the originator. Then you have the son. The role of the son, the role of Jesus, is the mediator. Everything comes from the father, but it goes through the son. When it comes to man, it goes through the son and our prayers go through the son to the father. Paul said there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, which is interesting, a little tributary there because this is after the resurrection, after the ascension, and Paul still addresses Jesus as a man. So Jesus, the incarnation was not a momentary thing. It wasn't something that he zipped on an earth suit for 33 years and then went back to unlimited divinity that he put on an earth suit and Jesus retains his humanity in heaven. He is fully God and fully man. And that in and of itself is, a, is an element of your salvation because never again, never could God say, I am done with man, I'm gonna start over, I'm, gonna, I'm done with this, this humanoid stuff because he has become one, he has become one of us. And so the father is the originator The Son's the mediator, but then you have this role of the Holy Spirit. So it's from the Father through the Son, but in the New Testament, we see it's by the Spirit. He is the executor role. He is the one that is enforcing the will of the Father and the Son. The word executor itself, many of you are familiar with it because it, you have, when you have a will, it, when the death of a wealthy person that has set up a will, they will appoint an executor and the executor will be there to legally enforce the will of the deceased, the written will, so that they can allocate their riches to the family according to the dictates of the deceased loved one. That's the executor. He executes the will. And we see this in the New Testament. There's a very clear distinction. And it's important for us to understand because Scripture says that we are partakers of the divine nature. In a very real sense, God has breached the Godhead and invited us in. We have become one with him. We are partakers of the divine nature. We have become sons of of God, sons and daughters, John chapter 1 says, to him who believes, to him who trusts on his name, he has given the power to become the sons of God. We are partakers of the divine nature. Peter said that we, we, uh, we have been given the divine seed. The Greek word there is sperma. Literally his nature has come in us. And so in a New Testament sense, when we talk about we're adopted sons and daughters, It's not in the modern Western sense. The modern Western society, adoption is taking someone outside of the family. Biologically, they don't belong to the parents, but the parents will legally give them their name and they legally have an inheritance. And that's a wonderful thing, but that's not what the Bible's talking about because we are born ones of God. The the Greek word sons of God is, I want to say it's like hoisis, and the, the Greek word for child of God are distinct. A child of God is a born one. The Greek word is technon. I'm a born one of God. I, am a, I, I'm not just, I don't just have his name, I have his nature. It might be in just embryonic form. I may not be manifesting that a whole lot at first, but his nature has come to live within me. That is why we are called born again. His spirit comes to live in my spirit, and I'm awakened, that whole third element, that whole third dimension of my nature. My soul and my body were functioning before, but my spirit was dead, and when I get saved, my spirit wakens up. It's more like, it's little, And I've got to feed it and I've got to grow it, and so that my spirit man becomes begins to develop and grow up. That's why in First Corinthians chapters one and two, Paul talks about, he makes a distinction between the spiritual man, the soulish man, and the man of the flesh. And he's talking about all of them as believers. The fleshly Christian is not a category of Christianity. It's not, it's not well, they're, just, they're a lower class. It is a phase of Christianity. When you're first born, again, you, those things are falling off of you because your mind is still tied to the things of the flesh. And as you renew your mind, those things begin to fall away. So you're no longer living after the flesh. If you're still a fleshly Christian after five years, you might need to get saved. It may just be that you're not born again. And so you need the, his nature within you, and you begin to grow up in him. And so by his spirit, we have become born ones, but he's given us the power to become sons of God. And, and the, the Hebrew, or the Greek sense of that term, Roman Grecian culture looked at adoption differently than you and I. In that culture, it wasn't someone outside of the family being given the family name. It was someone who is biologically a born one, but they did not have the level of maturity to begin to function. In the family name they didn 't have the the, the responsibility the, the maturity to be able to go out and represent the family in the marketplace in governmental affairs and so forth and so there was what was called a ceremony of adoption and it was it was similar to a Jewish bar mitzvah it was a coming of age, and so that the young Roman Grecian child would be uh, discipled so to speak he would be parented until he came to a place of maturity and then he would go through a ceremony called adoption and he would become a son and once he's a son he would be given the full rights of an adult in that family he could wear the family ring represent them financially and so forth that's why romans 8 says he who follows after the spirit is a son of god those who are led by the spirit are the sons of god What it's saying is if you're led by the Spirit, you're displaying a level of maturity that God can trust to you. But if you're not being led by the Spirit, He can't allow you, He can't release the authority, the power, the fullness of the family to you because you can't be trusted with it yet. You're still living by your own understanding. Does that make sense? And so what we want to do is we want to grow into sonship. He gave us the power to become sons. That's a process of us growing in him. All of that has to do with the spirit because the spirit is that internal nanny, if you will. Paul calls the law a pedagogue. It was like a male nanny that would disciple a child, you know, would train him. So he would, the, the idea was that they would put external pressure on the child to make him do, as a child, what one day he would do from internal discipline. That was the purpose of the law. And the Spirit interacts with us in the same way. We're not subject to the law. We now no longer walk by the law. We walk by the Spirit. But in walking by the Spirit, he's training us, he's discipling us. There's the discipline of the Spirit. If your heart Longs to follow Him, you know what the discipline of the Spirit is. When you've grieved Him and you're like, oh Lord, you felt Him lift some and you felt like, Lord, forgive me, I want to walk in sensitivity to You. It's what Leif talks about, the dove as opposed to the pigeon religion, you know, how the dove is very sensitive, but the pigeon, it isn't, and it leaves stuff. So, We want to be sensitive to the Spirit so that He He is growing us up. He's teaching us so that we can move into sonship, so that we can be used of Him. So this picture of the the functioning of God in the New Testament is a fascinating thing. It's from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. Or you could put it this way. In modern vernacular, God thought it, Jesus bought it, and the Spirit brought it. So Jesus purchased it. The Spirit brings it to us and establishes it in us so that we can walk in His will, okay? So we have this uh, originator, mediator, executor, from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. But then you have this fascinating passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to say it's verse 20. And Paul said, All the promises are yea. This is the King James Version because that's what I was raised on. So that's what I want to quote to you. All the promises are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. For you, you old timers, we used to sing the song out of the hymnal Every promise in the book is mine. Every passage, every verse, every line, or something like that. If I just had an accordion, I could really go at it. But it. Uh, <laughs> Every promise in Christ Jesus is yea and amen. And then it goes on, it says this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter, or 2 Corinthians chapter one, he said, for the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God, through him to the glory of God. So you have this from the Father and back to the Father. We have that in place in that verse. We have it through the Son, the mediator place. We have that in place in that verse. But then the executor role of the amen is spoken not by the Spirit, but by us. Because when it comes to prayer... That is our role. We step in in partnership with the Spirit of God and we receive revelation from Him so that we'll know God's will and then we pray it with Him so that we'll pray God's will and we put our punctuation on the end, our amen, our so be it, in, for, with God's will. We join our will to His will. It's part of prayer. So it's an amazing thing that in the ways of God, there are things that God wants to release on the earth. They're going to come through the Son. The only reason you and I can receive anything from God is because Jesus paid the price. Jesus said it, "'No man comes to the Father but by me.'" or through me. It comes through Jesus. And you could just as easily say, the Father comes to no man, but through me. So God encounters us, the Father. Jesus is the one who reconciles us to the Father. The Father gave the Son, and the Son reconciles us to the Father. But the Son gave the Spirit. The Father. It was, it was the promise of the Father, but it was the Son who baptizes us in the Spirit. And the Spirit gives us the mind of Christ, gives us revelation on what God wants to do, and teaches us to pray. So that brings us to Romans chapter 8. Let's, let's turn there. So you, you know I'm really quoting the verses and you don't, you don't think I'm making this up, okay? Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 26. Well, let's look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. It's interesting. We don't have time to get into this this morning. But there is the groan of creation in this verse. And there's the groan of the believer in conjunction with the Spirit this groan because creation has been subjected to frustration by sin and it's longing to come into its fullness. So it says, he has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now and not only creation but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what he sees? For what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Verse 26. This is where we wanted to get to. Listen to what he says. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit of God has come alongside of you to help you in your weakness. This particular verse defines that help in a specific context. There's, he says, he helps us in our weakness. What is that weakness? He defines it. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. He's saying we should know, but we don't know. We don't know what we should pray for. We we, we need the spirit to come alongside and help us in our weakness. And that weakness is we don't know what to pray for and we don't know how to pray. So the spirit comes and teaches us instructs us in the ways of God so we know what to pray and how to pray and so we have this partnership in this mystery called prayer that you and I step into and we partner with the spirit of God it doesn't come from us and it doesn't go to us we don't pray to ourselves people don't need to be praying to us It doesn't, the ideas don't originate with us. It doesn't come through us. We're not the mediator, but we are the executor. We are to execute God's will on the earth. And that begins with prayer. Before those things are realized in the earth, it's going to happen through prayer. And so we need to learn there's a partnership that God invites us into with the Spirit. The Spirit of God wants to teach you how to pray. He wants to come alongside you in partnership. Now, this passage is about prayer. But there's an application of that helper. Uh, there, there's all through Scripture. The, the Holy Spirit is our helper. Many of you have heard the Greek word uh, where he is the... Uh, oh, what's... He's the... Uh, my, my mind is blank. In the book of John, he, he's, I will give you a paraclete para the greek word it's a compound word para it means uh alongside and kaleo means to call he's called alongside us to help jesus, john pastor john mentioned it this morning he said jesus told his disciples listen guys it's better that i leave you may not think so but it's going to be better that i'm gone And they're thinking, Lord, how could there be anything better than having the living, breathing Son of God walking with us at all time? And Jesus answers that. To have the living, breathing Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. So Jesus said, "It's better that I leave. I'm going to bring. One, I'm going to send one. He's the Paraclete, the Paraclete. He's called alongside you to help you. Now that's translated many different ways. Some people, some translations translate it. Uh, I want the N I the forget how it is. Uh, we need to pray. My mind is a little fuzzy this morning. I only had one cup of coffee. But there's there's different translations." But I would propose to you the best translation of that word is helper because he will become what you need him to be. He's come to help you in your weakness. There is a partnership with the Spirit of God that we don't see with the Son and with the Father. He is the one that's come alongside to help. You remember where Jesus said, Come all to me who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That was a common rabbinical invitation. Rabbis, Jewish teachers, would meet someone, they'd say, hey, take my yoke upon you. It was what Jesus did with his disciples and said, follow me. It was their way of inviting someone, hey, become part of my small group, and I will train you. It wasn't original with Jesus, but it was a very vivid picture because it was a picture of a dual yoke. You've seen pictures of those old wooden yokes that are on an ox. Well, there there were singular, singular yokes and there were double yokes. We're not talking about eggs. We're talking about a yoke that you put on an oxen, and so what they would do when they're going to train an ox to tread grain or you know to plow a field, they would put it in a double yoke. There would be the big ox that knew how to do things and had been trained and been out in the you know harvest for years, and then they would get a new oxen that they're training, and they would yoke him to a larger one. So the larger one is pulling the the major load. He's but the younger one is learning from him, and he's pushing, he's pulling he's learning what it is to have that that yoke upon him and he's learning of the older the older oxen and that's what Jesus was saying he's saying put your head in my yoke and learn from me my yoke is easy and my burden is light he's going to pull the majority of the load but there's a learning to walk with him And it's very similar to what Jesus is telling us about our relationship with the Spirit. There's one called alongside us to help us. The Spirit of God comes alongside you and aids you in your walk. He's teaching you to walk in the things of God. He's instructing your heart. He's telling you, hey, that's not a good idea this would be a good idea. You feel these promptings and these leadings and you learn to trust His voice, to recognize His voice. And you learn that as you recognize His voice and you don't heed His voice, there's consequences. That's what He's trying to help us avoid. And so we learn to walk in the Spirit. One expression of that is this idea of prayer. He's trying to teach us how to pray. So let's look on in Romans 8. He says, "Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words." It's interesting. So now we see a trinitarian groan. We see three groans going on here in Romans 8. Creation groans, our spirit groans, and the Holy Spirit groans. And the Holy Spirit comes to partner with us to groan and intercede with us so that we can see things move. What Paul is talking about is a third dimension of prayer. Paul talks in First Corinthians chapter 14. Matter of fact, let's turn there. We'll go back to uh, Romans 8 in a moment. First Corinthians 14. Let's look at this. Because it's important for us to, to understand this. For some of you, this is very basic. For some of you, you may not be aware of this. Look at verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 14. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Why? Verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in a position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? So the context of this is Paul's giving instruction. Okay, this is how we roll as a church, as a New Testament church. And he's saying, he's saying if you're going to pray out in tongues, you should have an interpretation. I had someone ask me about this last week. Now, there's different ways to view that verse. There are some churches will will frame it this way. And and if that's the way the pastor of that church uh, believes they should roll, then you need to stay under authority. Some people say you should never speak in tongues in a public service unless there's an interpretation. Some say you should never speak in tongues in a public service. That should be in a small group. I don't believe that's what Paul is saying. I believe what Paul is saying because he goes on to say, how can someone say amen to what you are saying? He's talking about someone leading in prayer. So we don't get up at over offering and, and you know, start speaking in tongues over the offering and then say amen. And everybody's like, well, I don't know if I can say amen to that because I have no idea what you said. So when we're leading in prayer, we speak in the native tongue, the tongue that everyone else understands, or we provide a translator. But if you give a message in tongues, then there should be an interpretation. There's nothing wrong with during worship, you, you singing in tongues. Paul said, I can sing in tongues. But if you are going to get up and give a message, if you're, if you're the primary speaker, then there needs to be an Interpretation. Many of you have seen that. We'll be in worship and all of a sudden you can feel it. Man, there's something about ready to happen. And all of a sudden there's just everybody all of a sudden kind of lands for a moment. There's a lull and someone gives a message in tongues and someone else gives the interpretation. That's the way it's supposed to roll. But if we're all just worshiping the Lord, it's not when I'm singing in tongues on the front row, that's not for you, that's for Him. If I'm praying over the offering, I am Also praying so that you can put your amen, which means so be it, so that you can throw your will behind and say amen. So be it, pastor. I agree with you. So in this passage, that's what Paul's talking about. But what I really want to highlight is this. Paul said, if I pray with my spirit, my mind remains unfruitful. So I will pray with my spirit but I will also pray with my understanding. What in the world is he talking about? Now, some people say, "Well, yeah, he's saying you pray, you know, praying in the spirit means he's speaking in tongues," and I, I agree that what that means—that is what that means. But they think that any time that that terminology is used in the New Testament, well, let me put it this way: in Ephesians six, Paul says this. On all occasions, praying in the Spirit. That is not tongues necessarily. It can be. But he said praying on all occasions. So it can't be tongues because you don't pray in tongues on all occasions. You know, let's, you know at Thanksgiving, you're probably not going to say, let's bless this turkey. You know, your non-Pentecostal relatives will think you're crazy. And Paul says that later, okay? And they can't put their amen behind it. the, The New Testament talks about us walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, and praying in the Spirit. Everything we do is to be in the Spirit. So what does that phrase mean? In the Spirit means we're led by and energized by the Spirit. We're receiving the direction from the Spirit of God. He's strengthening us. To do those things, he's come alongside to help. He makes up for our weakness. He strengthens us when we're weak so we can fulfill the will of God. That's what what in the spirit means. That is not the terminology Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 14, however. He's saying, I will pray with my spirit. It doesn't say, I will pray in the spirit and with my understanding. He's saying, I will pray with my spirit. Praying with your spirit is... Praying in your prayer language or the tongues that the Spirit of God gives you. And Paul makes a clear distinction. You have your understanding and then you have with your spirit. Now there's a whole lot in there that we can surmise. A, you don't understand what you're speaking in tongues. Okay? When I speak in tongues, I don't understand. There are times I have a sense. I have, there are things on my mind that I will pray. But I, it, it's, I'm praying in words I don't understand. But when I pray with my mind, my understanding, I understand, but I'm limited to my understanding. So here we have these three types of prayers. So let me unpack it for you. 1 Corinthians 14 says, we pray with my understanding. That means with words, your native tongue. Then we pray with our spirit, That means you pray with an unknown tongue or an unknown language. You're praying beyond your understanding. Your spirit, it's like your mind, you're saying to your mind, step aside. This is a bigger deal than you are equipped for. And your spirit man steps up and begins to release prayer. There are times where you will not be able to release the burden that you are feeling in prayer, the weight of it, unless you just let go in tongues. Because your, your spirit will understand things your mind is not yet caught up to. Now, we need to continually be stretching our mind and learning and all that. Uh, we, we don't want to remain ignorant in our mind. But the fact is, Paul makes a clear distinction. So there is prayer with a known language, praying with an unknown language, and then he addresses Romans 8, praying with no language at all, without words, with groans that words are unable to articulate. You've gotten into a place where you've not only bankrupted your own understanding and your own vocabulary, you've now bankrupted your tongue, however you can do that. There's, there's just this, this burden that you're engaged with and tongues are not sufficient. Your spirit, there's a groan in your spirit. And it says the spirit of God groans with us. We groan and he groans in travail. We're, 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 we're crying out to God for things to move. And I would propose to you that that level of prayer Is special and very powerful, and something we need to be asking for more of. There are times where I have entered in travail and seen things really move in the spirit. I mean within a matter of days, where this groan, this this just it's it's desire that I can't even put into words, tongues are not sufficient. And I'm releasing that desire in those groans to the Lord. It's not something we work up. That gets weird. But there's scriptural precedence for that type of praying. I remember years ago, a a very, I I won't say his name because I'm going to say something a little unkind about him. But uh, there's a a theologian I deeply respect, a brilliant Pentecostal theologian that has now gone to be with the Lord and very, very good. Uh, theologian on most things. He wrote a great commentary on pneumatology, the study of the Spirit. But he came to that passage, and this is what he said. And I was shocked when he said it. He happens to me, Assembly of God guy. He said, at least he used to be, he said, we don't know what this particular verse is speaking of. He's talking about groans of, of, that words cannot articulate. He said, we don't really know what this verse is talking about because Paul doesn't give us any indications. And he moved on. And I'm thinking the reason he doesn't know is he's never been in a revival prayer meeting. He's never been around the people that have, that have developed a well-worn path to the secret place and intercession. Because when you get around those people, it's inevitable. You're going to bump into that. You're gonna, there are times the Spirit will help us in our weakness. He'll lead us into and pull out that weapon of travail so that we can see things move. And the reason I'm talking about it is I believe we need to be asking the Lord to release travail to us as a church. Because if there's ever been a time in our nation's history, we need someone to give birth to something fresh. It's now. You see, when you pray in your own understanding, that's a good thing. And the more you know of his ways, the more you can pray the will of God. When you are praying contrary to God's will, it's a pretty fruitless exercise. We want to pray God's will. There are times where we come to the point where we are beyond our own understanding, the complexities of the problem. We don't have light in the scriptures that, a, that we, can, we can discern on this situation And so all we can do is pray, God, your will. And we can pray with our native tongue, but we we come up against a barrier. Lord, I don't know how to pray as I ought. That's where the Spirit steps in. And he can give us the power to pray in a language that we don't understand, but he does. And let me just tell you, when it's very clear in the Scriptures that when people pray And what the Greek word, glossolalia, it's an unknown tongue. It is a very real language. I've been in many circumstances where that has happened. I I remember one of the most vivid ones, the first time I ever saw this happen, I was in Teen Challenge, and uh, one of our students uh, gave a word, uh, a prophetic word, and Rudy Marino, one of our students, was in the back. He had spent like 20 years in the state penitentiary. He was... He spoke Spanish and English from birth, but he learned Filipino in prison. And he came to me, he said, Dave, that word was for me. That prophetic word, that, that word in tongues was for me. He said, I understood everything the, guy, the gal said. And I said, what did she say? He said, it was real simple. You've run, you've run, you've run. It's time to quit running. It rocked his little world because this girl did not know Filipino. Sandra Collier, many of you have heard me tell this story about how when Sandra, one of our former pastors, uh, who's with the Lord now, she, she, she was, uh, when she first got, got baptized in the Spirit, she would spend hours with the Lord every morning. She'd get, get the house cleaned up so she could just spend hours with the Lord. And, and the Lord took her into this school of the Spirit and she became a powerful woman of God. But she had this prayer uh, warrior friend that she would pray with and one day they were praying in the spirit they were just praying with their spirit rather and and in the spirit and all of a sudden sandra just began to pray in tongues they were worshiping and uh, during that season the one prayer that sandra had been asking was this lord give me a new heart she had she had by her own admission she had been struggled with anger in the past her and Quimby used to tell this story about she took a knife out at Quimby one time. Little Sandra was a fi- spitfire. When she, man, when Jesus got a hold of her, she was an amazing woman of God, but she would have been dangerous without Jesus. And uh, she'd been praying, God, give me a new heart. Give me a new heart. I want a new heart. I want a brand new heart. She's praying in tongues, and her friend stops her and says, Sandra, have you ever had lessons in French? She said, no. So you don't know any French? She said, no, of course not. She said, you were speaking perfect French. I, I, I took French in college. So Sandra excitedly said, well, what did I say? And she said, you were thanking God for your new heart. So in English, she's asking God for something that her spirit understood she already possessed. Her spirit understood something her mind had not yet caught up to. So it's a legitimate language, and it might be, at times, tongues of angels. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, he said, we speak in the tongues of men and of angels. It's most likely a reference that there are times where God will allow a human individual to pray, in, but it's, it's so that he can bypass this barrier of our understanding. One of the primary entrances of sin into the human race was man wanted fruit to make him wise? So he demands that we bow at the cross and the foolishness of the gospel. And even in prayer, sometimes we have to set aside our understanding and give ourselves in faith to this thing. But I'm telling you, there are times where that is insufficient, there is the canon of travail. And I believe the Lord wants to release that to us. And I believe that we need to begin to ask Him, Lord, would you release travail for the next move of God on planet earth? We need to see revival hit. And there are stories all down through history about those who entered into travail and as they would, things would break loose. Tremendous harvest, tremendous outpouring we've seen it in our own church. TJ, wave at everybody. TJ is the product of travail one morning in prayer. She had told Steve, Steve, wave at everybody. She had told Steve, TJ, wave at everybody. TJ had told Steve, Steve, wave at everybody. She said, I'm done. I'm leaving you. And Steve got saved. And Steve was undone. He was, I mean, I, I joke, if we would have had a women's knitting prayer meeting, Steve would have been here to pray for his wife. He was desperate, and it got his attention. So I called TJ. I didn't know her. She was mean to me. I said, Is this TJ Husband? Yes. I said, uh, This is Pastor Dave Olson from Heartland? Yes. Real abrupt. I said, uh, You know, I've been talking to your husband, Steve? Yes. I said, he really wants another. And she pretty much said, no way, no chance, drop dead. You know, she didn't use those words, but she made it clear she's not open. And uh, I, so finally, after a couple no's, I said, what if God himself made it clear to you? Now understand, she wasn't walking with the Lord, but there was something inside of her from the years earlier when she tried to get that man in church that responded. She said that she reiterated to me very slowly, if God himself were to show me, then I'd give him another chance. And I thought, that's all we need. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Tell you, I felt like I was going where angels fear to tread, man. She was a scary woman. But that's all we needed. There was a crack in the door. And so we began to pray for TJ Tuesday morning, Thursday morning, Tuesday morning, Thursday morning. And I think it was a Thursday morning, one Thursday morning in prayer. We'd prayed about something else. We said, okay, let's pray. Oh, before we leave, let's pray for TJ. And as soon as we did, this travail came over us and we buckled over and just began to weep for her. Everybody, this this small group of probably six people, and we're just buckled over, just travailing, just God, save her, open the eyes of her understanding. And all of a sudden it lifted. We kind of looked at each other after about five minutes. That was strange. Have a good day. We all went our way. And it was either that morning or the next day she called her husband and said, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I have called the lawyer and I've called him, called off the divorce. He Either put it on hold or called it off. And that was how many years ago? Look at him. Yeah. 19 years ago. They still sit by each other. That's a good sign. Okay. I'm telling you, God gloriously saved her, but it came out of travail. There is a darkness that needs a battle. Paul said, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. TJ was not the enemy and Steve was not the enemy. The enemy between them was the enemy. One political party or another is not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. People are not the enemy. They are the trophy. They are what we're fighting for. But sometimes we have to move into this thing where we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but we do wrestle with principalities and powers. And there's this travail. Let Go ahead and stand so you know I'm going to quit. I'm going to just read you something very quickly. Jesus. I can't even find the document I was going to read. Some of you are saying, I think God's trying to tell you something, Pastor. (laughs) All right, here it is. Okay. Some would say that we do not deal with principalities and powers, but Paul clearly taught otherwise. Against principalities and powers in high places. How do we deal with principalities, those ruling spirits over regions and relationships? By wrestling. Not a command, not a singular declaration, but wrestling. I believe this is speaking of travail. You can't even get there without surrender to Him. You will not care enough to pray that level for others. You will not care enough to be engaged at that level. You will back off and acquiesce, surrender the ground rather than get touched. But when when you love your life, you cannot prevail in travailing prayer. You cannot wrestle and therefore are no threat to a principality or power. But oh, the man or woman who has surrendered, who has been consumed with the cause of the kingdom and loves not their life unto death. Hell fears that one. When God establishes a house of heroes, those who refuse to retreat, those who are more concerned with satisfying the thirst of their king than their own preservation, hell trembles. Heaven is released and the enemy is routed. God sets up his throne and reigns from the midst of that type of church. Scripture says that those who overcame the enemy love not their lives unto the death. We are not unhinged from self until we sacrifice. Intentions don't accomplish this. It is the act itself that severs the cord. Theoretical Christianity that is lived out through abstract decisions made in services but void of follow-through are a dangerous fraud. This type of charade may console the conscience but it makes no impact in the real world. What God is looking for are those of us who will surrender. I believe the Lord wants to bring us into a deeper place in intercession. We've been going after this thing almost daily for over a year and a half now. And it's time for some things to move. I'm going to ask you just to lift your hands to the Lord. I want to pray over you. Father, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your spirit. Lord, we present ourselves to you this morning. We surrender afresh. Lord, break our hearts for what breaks yours. And Lord, let us move into travail. God, we want to be moved with your emotion. We want to be willing to exchange our lives for the answer. So, Lord, we're asking as we present ourselves as living sacrifices that you would send the fire on the sacrifice. Stir our hearts, Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, we're asking that you'd begin to train us and teach us and bring us into travail. Let's just wait on the Lord for just one moment. Part of the the Spirit's dealing with our life is as He begins to touch things in our life. And I felt this during worship. I felt like there was somebody here this morning and that there's you're, you're feeling deep, deep despair like you're at the end. And there's deliverance for you this morning. The Lord wants to touch you. I felt like there's also someone here and they may be the same person. But I feel like there's somebody here you've stolen something. And there's this, this gripping fear that you've been struggling with that you're going to be found out because of the consequences of that. And the Lord's inviting you into freedom. He's inviting you into the light this morning. That if you hold, keep hold of that in the dark, the enemy wants to use it to rob you of your very soul. But there's freedom this morning. The Lord forgives you if you'll just come into the light. And God's going to work out the consequences. That doesn't mean that there's no consequences for man before man. But the Lord's going to walk with you. And the end result of this thing will be good and not bad. Hallelujah. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or come forward. But I am going to ask you to reach out to me. Because I feel like this is, a, this is an urgent thing for your own life, for your own soul. Hallelujah. Before we close here, if you're here this morning and you're not right with the Lord, you're saying, man, I need to get right with God. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. We want to pray with you real quick here. If you're saying, I need to get right with God, just raise your hand. Make sure I see it. Yes. Anybody else? See you two gentlemen. Anybody else? Anybody else? okay i'm going to invite those of you just take that step there's no one going to judge you listen we've all been there we're going to rejoice with you but we're going to invite you to come forward and i'm going to ask john and laura if you'd intercept them but you three gentlemen would you please come at this time and we're going to pray with you and uh, let's give these guys a hand amen amen hallelujah yeah thank you lord thank you jesus Thank you, Lord. Laura. Hallelujah. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you, God, for this day. We thank you for what you're doing. And Lord, we ask, go deeper. Go deeper. Lord, take all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, You can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com slash give.